It feels like so much of big tech social media and mainstream media, it's almost like their goal is to erode trust among neighbors. With Front Porch Forum, you know, our goal is basically to amplify and to help facilitate what humans have done forever, which is be friendly and neighborly and supportive of their neighbors and, and share mutual aid to get through a tough winter or to recover from an unexpected fire or flood or what have you. And you start that by developing trust along simple lines by lending and borrowing things and giving advice and pitching in on a joint project that builds trust. Hi, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where we talk to thought leaders all over the world who are doing extraordinary things to shape our shared future in a positive way. There are countless people on this planet that we are not hearing from. Their stories are just not rising to the top of our news feeds, but they're out there and they're doing remarkable things that are tackling some of the world's most vexing problems, large and small, and we are better for it. And the most important thing is that they think the world and the future is still bright. Now, I look at that and think, I got to know what these folks know. And we're going to get started on that right now with an amazing guest, Michael Wood. Lewis. So Michael has been pulling together neighborhoods with this wonderful sense of kinship and commonality when his wife, Valerie, and he started a platform called Front Porch Forum. It's a place that now blankets all of Vermont in every community. Probably two-thirds of the households are involved in Front Porch Forum now. The best way to describe it is probably like a revolution in connection and community where people in good times can make their, their lives and their communities even better. And in hard times, they come together super swiftly to tackle a struggle with a lot less effort and a lot more joy. Front Porch Forum is an ingenious B Corp. That's a benefit corporation. It's a benefit to the public. And in that way, they are weaving together everything from how we communicate our lost dog to find a good plumber to ask for volunteers to help our mother-in-law rebuild back her garage after a fire. It's an amazing, simple platform that we Vermonters use to connect and build relationships with our neighbors. Front Porch Forum is a system. It's an, an as much as it is a mindset and a gift to Vermont communities. And I really felt like I needed to share this story with the world because it's a roadmap to how we all live better lives with more joy and less fear. I'm delighted to have Michael on this podcast and share his insights after this 23 years of spearheading radical neighborliness. I'm certain you'll find a lot of insights here for what you care about in your own neighborhood and probably liven up your own circles as well. So welcome Michael Wood Lewis to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. I love a good conspiracy. Thank you, Linda. Okay, you can be a co-conspirator with us in this effort to get, you know, another version of reality to rise to the top um, and and compete with that doom and gloom. <laughs> I'll tell you, Michael and I had a very serendipitous meeting, and I've been wanting to to shine a light on his story for so long. So thank gosh for serendipity recently. And one of the things I want Michael to start with is a story that just that I I thought about. A, about dozens of times since you told it to me. And this story will inform uh, um, everybody about the rest of the interview. Michael, I got a good introduction of your work in before you and I started chatting. So people will know at least where you're coming from. Can you start by telling us the story of the neighbor with the bumper stickers? Oh, sure. Oh sure. my gosh. This, this, the, the thread of, for this conversation runs all through this conversation, this story. So this goes back more than uh, 20 years, and my wife and I were fairly new into our neighborhood in Burlington, and you know the political climate was not as charged as it is today, but still there was plenty of heat around election season, especially national elections. And there was a neighbor down the street who, on my on our block, who had some bumper stickers that, frankly, I found offensive. And they kind of made my blood boil every time I walked by and I would grumble under my breath and kind of, who is this guy? And I'd, I'd keep going. And we had started this, this simple online service for our neighbor, single neighborhood back then as kind of an experiment. And one day in my inbox showed up an announcement for a free or practically free used table saw. And I, you know, amateur handyman, carpenter kind of guy. 
I was just like, oh my gosh. And, you know, we didn't have two pennies to rub together at that stage in our, our early marriage. I thought, this is fantastic. I'm going to get myself a free table saw or, you know, one for, you know, 10 bucks, 20 bucks. And so on my way home, I was looking for the address. I kind of was on, the, realized I was off a block. We have three streets that are very similar names in our, in our neighborhood. Anyway, I come to the house. And there's no cars in the driveway or anything. And I'm coming at it from a different direction. And I, as I ring the doorbell, I realize I'm at the house of the dreaded bumper stickers. And there's no car in the driveway at that moment. It turns out later I find out it's in the shop. But I'm about ready to play ding dong ditch it and, and take off. I, I'm like really like, ah, oh, I don't want to talk to this person. When the sweetest elderly uh, woman opens the door and it was like, basically a smell of grandmother coming out of the house of like baked cookies and whatnot. And she ends up ushering me in, taking me right down the old unfinished basement with a low ceiling where her husband's at the workbench working on something. He, the one of the bumper stickers and of the table saw and, you know, cut to the chase. I didn't get the table saw. My wife was not so keen on it and it probably didn't make much sense uh, anyway, as we were at that moment in our lives. But we did strike up a friendship and we became quite close over time. They later moved away to be closer to grandkids, but I never would have broached a conversation with that neighbor if not for this everyday neighborly interaction around some pedestrian issue. It could have been borrowing a cup of sugar or anything, but in this case, it was the table saw. So that taught me a lesson. Because you, you, you had a fruitful relationship with him for a long, long time thereafter, right? Yeah. And I will say, we never got around to talking about politics in any constructive way. Um, I kind of figured I wasn't changing his mind and he wasn't changing mine. But, uh, but we could be uh, friendly neighbors um, and not, frankly, hate each other, as so often the case, it seems, these days. Yeah. So here's where we are, all of us. And, you know, you'd have to live in some very strange place in the United States if you didn't have neighbors. And, um, man, we can count on each other when we make a little effort to find out what we have in common and or what we can appreciate about each other. And we get to choose whether how much gravity we give the things we disagree about. Talk to us about how that has informed your journey. And then I'm going to have you tell the story of your journey, but what you're doing is creating, I'm not sure exactly the number, but you have the majority of Vermont households involved in front porch forum. What, what's the, what's the number where you're at on that? It sure seems that way. Yeah. Uh, There are 270,000 households in the state approximately. And we have about 230,000 members on front porch forum. Okay. There's certainly multiple people in a single house who have yeah. accounts. So I don't have an exact household count, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it's a very large segment of the state participates. Okay. So this is, you know, so many podcasts, so much in our news and our media landscape focuses on what's wrong with the world, but you have cultivated a concept and a way of life here in Vermont that I wanted to share with the world because it's it could be our future. We just have to make some choices and hold back on some of our impulses <laughs> and, and start, um, start gravitating towards things that make us all stronger together. So, and that's, that's kind of at the origin of your story. Yes. Yeah. My, my wife and I were fairly new to our, uh, my wife, Valerie and I were fairly new to our neighborhood in Burlington, Vermont, and we were having a little trouble breaking into the community and, you know, one day we came home and we, we saw the neighbors packing away uh, picnic tables and barbecue grills out of the street. And we said, what happened? I said, oh, you, you missed it. It was our, our annual block party. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly the kind of thing we've been itching for. We, we want to plug in. You know, how, why, don't, why didn't we know about it? And the neighbor good naturedly just chuckled and he said, oh, you know how it works. You got to live here 10 years before you're on the grapevine. And I said, I'm not nearly that patient. And so shortly after we created a email kind of group for the neighborhood, we used a spreadsheet to keep track of things. We put flyers in everybody's front door and we got amazing response. People signed up in droves and 
started using it immediately. Now, I want to remind everybody that we all live in a world, most of us listening to this podcast live in a world where we we could easily think that Facebook existed forever or that all the other social media, but you must have been on the very front end of that years before the real explosion of social media. Oh, yeah. This was before. I mean, cutting edge was email back in 2000. Um, yeah. Not everyone had email addresses. A lot of people signed up with family email addresses, you know, uh, the Johnson family at AOL.com in those early days. So, yeah, it was before Facebook, before uh, Twitter or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about the social capital. This is a word that keeps popping up. But before we really go there, I want you to give people a really basic overview of what French Front Porch Forum offers neighbors, neighborhoods, all of us here. Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, well done on the pronunciation. It's a, it's a tongue twister, Front yeah. Porch Forum. Um, didn't mean mean for that to happen, but yeah, it trips people up. Um, well, well, I do have to interrupt you and say, you know, you've become an acronym now, so that's a really, you know, yeah, FPF. A lot of people in Vermont know the initials FPF. Yeah, yeah. so frontporchforum.com. So we're a, a, a mission-driven uh, Vermont public benefit corporation, so a family-owned business with a social mission. And our mission is to help neighbors connect and build community. It's all about helping make each Vermont town and neighborhood more resilient in the face of uh, ever-challenging socio-ecological, political, economical environment that we live in. So people uh, go on to frontporchforum.com, sign up, and you get a, a kind of forum once a day via email or our mobile app or on our website. And it's a collection of messages from neighbors. And our uh, bread and butter are lost dogs and cell phones and plumber recommendations and finding a babysitter and looking you know, for a my, gardener, looking, <laughs> looking for, for a gardener. My, my lawn chair went missing in the windstorm yeah. last night uh, or my, you know, my dock floated away or my canoe floated away. All those kind of things. And people get great results. So once a day you get a you get this thing lands in your inbox, you skim through it. And it's all from nearby neighbors who are clearly identified. Every posting is reviewed by our staff of online community managers. That's our professional staff. And they're just looking for compliance with our simple terms of use. And our terms of use say things like no personal attacks, no crazy conspiracy theories, things like that, that when we started, everybody agreed with. It seemed like common sense. Since uh, a lot of our national political discourse has gotten so divisive, there's a lot of people shoveling a lot of different uh, ideas out there. You know, it's, it's become more and more challenging. But nonetheless, we persist and um, people seem to really greatly appreciate this local service in every town in Vermont. Yeah, that's the challenge, isn't it, in this world is to, you know, persevere right through the 10% that would ruin the whole concept that we're driving at and really serve the 90%. That's the problem with the worldview that the news and media leave us with, right? Because we learn about the 10% that might be negative, but we hear about it over and over 90% of the time, we start to think that is the world out there. Yep. When I don't know the exact numbers, but it feels to me in my neighborhood and the way I, I've grown up and you and I can talk about um, the overlap there a little bit later, but it's really quite the opposite. 90% of people have good intention and we're just not hearing nearly enough about it. And that's what taps me into this energy that it must be to lose your dog or have your canoe float away or whatever and have some place to turn where everybody kind of has good intentions and they know that they, they might be serving this time, but needing next time. And there's this beautiful give and take that's happening there. Yeah. You know, we've um, done a lot of thinking and, and working on, on this project since we started it 23 years ago. Um, it's grown to the point where we serve every community in the state. We have a staff of 27 employees now who make it all work. We have our home built software uh, platform, but you know, it all, what underlies it all is this concept, the social model that you were just talking about of, of social capital and helping people connect with neighbors, feel more 
like they're part of a community. And, you know, when we first started, I assumed that if someone posted, you know, I need help rehabbing the, uh, the mother-in-law apartment behind my home because my, my actual mother-in-law needs a place to live and she's going to move in. And we can't afford, you know, to pay somebody to do it. Anybody willing to do kind of some barn raising? Well, if that actually, a person gets a good response and it happens, I always figured the person who's had the apartment, the mother-in-law, like they're the beneficiaries. Well, I've come to find out the people who show up and do the work also report having a huge benefit. And that starts to make more and more sense to me. But the surprise that we discovered through our own work in listening and through uh, external surveys that have been done by, by independent third parties is it's the other hundreds of neighbors who are kind of listening in to the exchange. They are impacted as well because now they say, well, I couldn't, you know, I'm not a carpenter. I didn't have anything to offer to help, but wow, I live in a community where this kind of stuff happens. And so to your earlier point, it's counter to the narrative of doom and gloom that we get so often through traditional media and social media, big tech social media. You know, that, um, that I, I love that point. I don't want to just rush over it. You know, um, at the Goodness Exchange, the mothership website of this podcast, you know, we've for 10 years have been curating the internet for goodness and progress going uncelebrated. And so there's hundreds of articles there about actual great. wonderful things in the world that no one knows about, not puppies and mailbox stuff, but real newsworthy things like dogs can smell breast cancer at stage two. You know, if we want to talk about dogs, let's, let's wow. talk about some newsworthy things that are going on in science and innovation. And anyway, my point is, is that I'm really talking a lot to people these days about how we have to take charge of our worldview. Because mm-hmm. if, all that we absorb comes to us randomly from our algorithms. The way the internet works, it, we're just not going to think um, the future is is bright. We're, there's just no way we can stand up in that wind of negativity and stay on our feet. <laughs> and yeah. what you just made me realize was something we've been talking about a lot. There's a Harvard study that just came out that, um, that found that exposure to just four minutes of good news a day can make you 32% less anxious and 18% more optimistic. So something you just said clicked because if you say, and every day you're going to get something from your neighborhood that you can skim. And I love that word because that's what we're doing. We're all, we're all scanning very quickly the world to see what can help us survive and thrive. Look at your inbox. You know, which ones do you open first? Social media, we're, we're all scanning for things that can help us survive and thrive. And I just realized, because I'm a part of Front Perch Forum, that's exactly what happens. When I look at that, when I skim that list, I feel better about the world. Yeah. And even better that, it, that it's right around me. I've got this marvelous group of people who are swapping and making a circular economy. I want you to talk about the circular economy concept, because that's essentially where you started with that going and being interested in that table saw, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, good point. I um. For some reason, I'll never be able to understand. I thought it would be a good idea to start our own business in 2006 when we incorporated, which about a month after our fourth and final child was born. So we had four little kids, most of them in diapers running around and a lot of chaos. And, you know, it was it was a very challenging time. But as we moved forward, there wasn't a business model associated with Front Porch Forum initially. Now we sell ads to local businesses in each of the communities and, um, you know, a few other things. And that generates our, our revenue to pay our staff. But um, in those early days, it was a lot of experimentation and figuring things out. And frankly, given the stage of life we were at with a house full of little kids, we were probably the top users of that circular economy. Strollers and cribs and shoes and, you know, on and on and on and on, and, you know, forming a baby and then, you know, other things like forming a babysitting co-op and, and uh, all those kind of things were facilitated through our neighborhood front porch forum for our family mm-hmm. and, you know, others as well. I think the ultimate example of recycling and repurposing goes on on front porch forum and everybody wins. Yeah. It really feels like that. 
when I go there. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some real fundamentals that I got excited about when I talked to Michael in a brief uh, chat before this interview. Things like trust and reciprocity and a resurgence of neighborliness. I mean, ooh, I just got goosebumps even saying those three words together. Okay, so let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to hear more about what's right with the world with Michael Wood Lewis. You know how the constant negative noise in our digital lives feels like it's reaching a boiling point? Now, many of us have tuned out the news and social media almost entirely. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. There are newsworthy stories about amazing progress, innovation, leaps in human potential, and wonders in the natural world, and they're just not reaching the top of our feeds. We can have access to this, but none of us has the time or maybe even the emotional stamina to search through all the doom and gloom news to find what's right with the world. Okay, enter the Goodness Exchange. There, we are giving instant access to positive news for curious people. Did you hear about the recent Harvard study that found that exposure to just four minutes of good news can make you 32% less anxious and 18% more optimistic? Well, I don't know about you, but I need those kind of numbers in my life. So if you want to live with more joy and way less fear, it's really simple. First, you join us at the Goodness Exchange. Our subscription model is a pay-what-you-can model so that everyone around the world has the opportunity to access this kind of content. And we've promised no politics and no ads for about a decade, so you're safe from all that distraction as well. Second, you allow this new, more positive, balanced worldview to put a spring in your step again. It can change the way you react to your kids, your coworkers, everybody you come in contact with. And the stories we write about can make you the idea person in your circles. These challenging times call for us to wake up and take control of our perspective. The people who use the Goodness Exchange have the ability to react to the harshness of the world much different because they know way more about what's right with the world. And that's a resource. So subscribe to The Goodness Exchange, our YouTube channel and the podcast, and use this content to live a more expansive worldview. It is still an amazing world out there and you can be a part of it. Welcome to The Conspiracy of Goodness. Okay, we're back with Michael Wood Lewis, founder of Front Porch Forum, an amazing force in the world of neighborliness um, in Vermont for now. And we can talk about the future <laughs> after that. But most, by and large, most households in Vermont have a way of connecting with their neighbors to keep connection and to have a way of uh, feeling safer in our, in our world, to have a, a feeling more abundance in the communities that we live in. It's such a great force. And so Michael, let's go back to this wonderful, um, I, th I think it's the big three you mentioned in social capital, trust, reciprocity, and neighborliness. Talk to us about your take on trust, the kind of trust that Front Porch Forum helps with. Yeah, you know, it feels like so much of big tech social media and mainstream media, it's almost like their goal is to erode trust among neighbors. And, you know, whether that's true or not, it, it's certainly an outcome of much of what they do. I don't know what the intention is, but with Front Porch Forum, you know, our goal is basically to amplify what and to help facilitate what humans have done forever, which is be friendly and neighborly and supportive of their neighbors and, and share mutual aid uh, to get through a tough winter or to get through a recover from an unexpected fire or flood or what have you. And you start that by developing trust on, you know, along simple lines by lending and borrowing things and giving advice and, and pitching in on a joint project that builds trust. All right, then. So trust starts leading to something that we all love being a part of both ends of reciprocity. I think that word has kind of gone away in society, mm. but I'm starting to see it bubble up. Talk to us about reciprocity. I, I grew up in a with a thought that you didn't ask for help. You know, you certainly gave help, but you yeah. didn't ask for it. And, you know, we're the kind of people who donate. We certainly don't accept donations. 
And that's, you know, part of the attitude I started out with Front Porch Forum with. But we had a development in our lives that, that really changed my perspective when one of our kids had a traumatic brain injury at birth and developed severe cerebral palsy. And I had to change my attitude because we needed help. And it's hard for me not to tear up uh, thinking about our son. He's no longer with us, um, died a few years ago. But it is what we've come to discover with facilitating conversations in every town in Vermont for the last 20 years is that the most valuable postings to our social mission of helping neighbors connect are the ones where people display some level of vulnerability. So someone's saying, I need help. That's not easy. Mm-hmm. And, and that, it's very easy to say, I know the answer. I can tell you what to do. I, I'll offer advice. It's, it's somewhat easy to say, hey, I'll pitch in. It's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit harder to say, hey, I'll donate or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to be the person. Now, there are, you know, there are grifters. There are people who will take advantage, of course. Um, and we try to be on top of that and police that. But for the everyday person to say, I need help is hard, especially to a group of neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to share um, the same thing. And I, and I would imagine when you tell that story, almost all of us can think back to a time when, you know, people came out of the woodwork. I had a one pound baby in 1997, mm-hmm. one pound. She's still the smallest baby born at our medical center in Burlington because a lot of the nurses became our patients in the dentist office. Mm-hmm. So we keep track of what's going on down there. But I tell you, um, I was a, a young professional. I had a four-year-old who was at that stage where they need your attention. And then this then my baby fell out at, at 23 weeks, five days, and there are no 22 weekers. And um, of course we faced a future with the child with severe cerebral palsy if she lived, but the 92% chance that she wouldn't even make it um, yeah. uh, past the first few days. And I'll tell you, she did. And people came out of the woodwork, Michael, there was the woman who one day knew that I was still working. I'm still going back and forth down at trying to seek all the serve all these patients and be chipper and rise above and then getting in that car and barreling down to the NICU to stay all night with her sleeping on my bare chest. And one day a woman came into the office and she just said, give me Dr. Linda's car keys. It was about two months in and she knew, she just knew what my car must look like. And they went and my staff just gave her the car keys and it was back by the end of the day. She found French fries under the, under the, <laughs> under the car seat. She later told me years later that were had to have been two months old because that's how we were eating. We were just grabbing something sure. at McDonald's on the way out of that. And my husband and I constantly, we, we managed to hold her about eight hours a day on our bare chest and go in shifts and take care of this four-year-old. But that's the other thing. Neighbors came out of the woodwork to help with our four-year-old. One day we came home, it was near Christmas, and there was a fully decorated Christmas tree on our back porch because people knew that we wouldn't have the the wherewithal or the time to even care about the holiday. And maybe we wouldn't care about it because we were in such involved in such a tragedy. The good news is <laughs> she did live by some incredible miracle. And um, and she has had a lovely life. She's 26 now. But that was like boot camp in neighborliness for Chuck and I. And I, I also want to say, you know, you and I discovered a strange serendipity. You grew up in Wheaton, Illinois, which is about um, two and a half hours North of where I grew up in Lincoln, Illinois. And then you went to school and got his master's degree at uh, university of Illinois, which is just 40 minutes from the family farm I grew up on. Mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to make that point because I think with, I think I can identify with the, I will not ask for help thing that you were talking about. Something in that Midwestern, hardworking, um, self-reliant uh, ethos makes it hard to ask for help. Yeah. But I think that's probably not unique across the United States. And certainly in our culture now, vulnerability is a real hard thing for most people to, to show. Did you have any great stories of, of vulnerability that turned out beautifully from the front porch forum years? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, there are endless stories. One, one of the challenges 
of trying to convey to folks how Front Porch Forum works is there's such a huge flow of, of wonderful success stories. And Front Porch Forum is often just tangentially involved, you know, but if not for FPF, yes. the thing wouldn't have happened. Right. But, you know, it's like 10 neighbors turn out to help a family who's had a kitchen fire you know, and give them a place to live and help with meals and find a contractor and hold their hand through the insurance process, all that kind of important stuff. Well, that's always happened. And and without Front Porch Forum, probably two or three people would have stepped up. Mm -hmm. With Front Porch Forum, 10 did. And when they put the word out, they're starting a GoFundMe uh, campaign. Well, then suddenly, you know, a thousand people donate or whatever, you know. So Mm -hmm. people often say Front Porch Forum is like a, a chemical catalyst. You know, it, it, it's if if it's in the equation, the, the, the chemical reaction just takes off, you know, and, and, and you have a, a big uh, rousing success oftentimes. That reminds me that we should talk about the big um, uh, the, the time of this interview is uh, the first day of September in 2023. And we uh, Vermont suffered an amazingly horrific uh, flood season that just kept on going. But we had four days, the three days in, what was it, early August, a month ago or a month and a half? July 10th it started. July 10th. Okay. That it was, I mean, entire places were just swept clean. And tell us about Front Porch Forum and how how you have um, been a part of the recovery from that. Yeah. Boy, natural disasters are so hard for everybody involved. Um, And uh, Front Porch Forum has been around through several now. Uh, the 2023 floods, of course, the pandemic and its various waves, and um, the tropical storm Irene back in 2011, Lake Champlain flooding in 2011. Um, and what we see over and over again is the places where uh, Front Porch Forum is operating successfully, and there's a good amount of traction, lots of people using it, and, and they're using it in a good, you know, good connecting way those places tend to be more resilient and recover faster because the people know each other. They, they're already in communication. They have a track record of working together of, uh, you know, rebuilding a playground or something, you know, during non-crisis times. So when crisis comes, it's like, okay, let's get the band back together. Let's go. We, you know, we know how to do this versus communities where everyone's in isolation and don't talk to each other and put out angry signs on their lawn, you know, every election season, that's, you're, you're starting in, in a hole there when disaster hits. Oh, that is such a big, that is such a big point. You're starting in a hole. You've got a lot of relationship building to get to before you can do something productive. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really um, bears witness to this fact that if we can be more neighborly, and all that that entails, then it's um, it's like a one plus one equals eleven scenario when we need it. Do, do you have some thoughts on neighborliness? Like I, <laughs> I was recently back in Illinois um, at the family farm, and there's this giant CO two pipeline that wants to run straight through mm-hmm. Illinois, and um, it's it's to benefit a private corporation that makes ethanol in Iowa and somehow it's going to just cut through, I think 192 miles of Illinois to be able to force CO2 seven miles down into the rock under Decatur, Illinois, so that this private company and big international conglomerate can have a place to, to dump the CO2 that they're creating. And I wa- I'm watching what's going on there in this, this, these little farm towns all along the way and um, neighbors are coming together and they're scratching their heads and they're asking better questions with each other. And all the divisiveness seems to be falling away because they've got this common mm-hmm. now shared struggle. Does shared struggle tend to build bonds? Have you noticed that? I was hearing something the other day about, how hard it can be to be on our political leaders during a crisis. You know, no one wants to be at the helm when, when a terrible crisis hits, you know, no one wishes for the crisis to happen, whether it's a a big flood or wildfires or whatever. On the other hand, it's extremely straightforward. Priorities are very simplified and streamlined. 
people get in line, people cooperate, everybody's on the same page, you know, during the peak moments of those crises. Um, but then as things start to even out again, the human condition reasserts itself. And it's like, well, I think we should rebuild this way. And I think we should build, rebuild that way, says the next person. And, and you get back to your old human ways of, of conflict. But um, yeah, there's something clarifying about a crisis, whether it's the World War II or the most recent natural disaster that strikes a particular area. So tell me about this, because, okay, so so it, we can, I'm seeing Front Porch Forum have a application in our just everyday lives. We need a table saw. We're wondering if there's anybody that can help our mother with her garden, because I can't show up every day and yet she's out there, <laughs> right? There's, I've just seen so many postings there. Um, people, oh, you mentioned a great one, the lost dog thing, where somebody posts they lost their dog and then a little while later, somebody else will post that there's a scary looking dog in the neighborhood. And then the, then somebody puts the two together. Yeah. That's just such a lovely kind of triangular way that information can flow when you're in touch. But what happens with all that goodness and progress kind of in relationships uh, that, is, that affects how town growth can happen? Because that you, you and I talked a lot about how everything's local and I love the investing in local projects or, or businesses and stuff that can come out of this feeling of goodness and progress that's that's been nurtured. Because people mm -hmm. will start, I'm, I'm assuming, small local businesses more if there's a sense of community where, the, where they're at, right? Yeah. You know, when we started Front Porch Forum, our main thought was neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor conversation about everyday simple things like we've been talking about, lost and found and plumber recommendations and what have you, borrowing the, a ladder that kind of thing. But pretty soon, as soon as we had a critical mass of people, other interested parties started jumping in and small business was very early, you know, to the party. And a lot of times uh, something that, you know, the chamber of commerce would, wouldn't even recognize like micro businesses, you know, like I'm a full-time dental hygienist, but on the side I make earrings and anyone, you know, I can come to your house and custom make you earrings or whatever. And so that, uh, we, that really took off on Front Porch Forum in a big way. And we've had thousands of micro businesses talk to us about, you know, and, and engage with, through our platform with our members. And it's, it's a beautiful thing because, uh, you know, as powerful as many benefits as the Amazons and whatnot of the world bring to us, there's a lot of downsides um, to all that. This makes me think of something else that we talked about that I thought was important. Um, you have this beautiful video that I came across. Maybe you sent it to me. Maybe I discovered it on my own. It's maybe about a half hour long. Do you know the video I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. And there's the story, this, this wonderfully authentic woman who must run, I think she runs some kind of a meat business for um, one of the most famous resorts here in Vermont called the Von Trapp Lodge. Do you know that story? Where yeah. That's <laughs> and, a terrific story. Yeah. The um, independent filmmaker in Toronto, a young guy came down a few years ago before the pandemic and wanted to make a short documentary film about Front Porch Forum and its impact in Vermont. And he and his crew went around the state and, and dug out three or four stories that they you know, wove together into a beautiful tapestry of this documentary film. And then they entered it in... in um, film festivals and whatnot around, around the world. So it was, a, it was very cool. We did many screenings of it around the state, probably three dozen screenings at local libraries and town halls and schools. Uh, I don't want to ruin it. Anybody who wants to see it can go to our website and, and, and find a link there, but it's terrific. And I'm going to put, um, I should remind people that anything you hear Michael and I mention, extra links to this and that, I'm going to put on the actual, that we're going to create a whole article on the Goodness Exchange about this interview. And we'll make sure to give an, a, people a link to that, that video. It's very cute. But it reminded me that there's a business aspect to this that's also kind of a healthy, robust way to give people access to their neighbors. Like, for instance, I think this was a, um, a business that that grew meat and, and mm -hmm. sold it to locally sort of thing. And she yeah. tells the funniest story of getting kicked off front porch. <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, we have um, limits on how much business small businesses can post. 
And sometimes they don't like that and they try to sneak around, but my staff, that's what they do. They, they, you know, they, they maintain uh, the rules. And so when someone breaks the rules, they get kicked off. And, and, and so she got kicked off and then she came back and, and uh, promised to behave herself and follow the rules because when she got kicked off, her customers kind of went to zero. Right. And uh, we didn't wish that on her, but she just needed to play by the rules. So she rejoined and I uh, think things took off from there. Oh, absolutely. And that reminded me of another part of neighborliness. You got to agree on some social contracts between each other, right? If, yeah. I, you know, I remember a day when uh, my son, my youngest, was writing his college entrance essay. Do you remember that day? Mm. When <laughs> anybody my is son's currently doing that right now. Oh. Talk, about torture. Talk about torture. And um, I have a fabulous neighbor. I mean, we we would rush over for each other in an instant. Mm-hmm. And um, but that day he decided to practice with a, a large um, weapon for hours <laughs> against the side of his barn. And you know, I because I love this man so much, and we are so different. We are just so different. But because I love our neighborly relationship so much, he what my son wove that moment into his his essay because you know that give and take you know he wants to practice with his gun and and i appreciate his autonomy over there and and god we're looking out on the beautiful rolling hills in front of us where we have an organic farmer that uses our our meadows and the Mm. ben and jerry's cows are actually there all the while the the gun firing in the background for hours and it inspired a kind of creativity in, in my son to actually really talk about community and how that and it feels to grow up in a rural area in a state like Vermont. Mm-hmm. And again, it's because I had a strong neighborly relationship that that didn't just send me like a bottle rocket somewhere else that would have been super unproductive and so forth. Yeah. So I think that the neighborliness issue can help us live with each other in a way that's, that feels additive, almost no matter what goes on. Yeah. I, you know, I think in a lot of ways, a synonym for neighborliness is simply respect. And how about dignity too? I, you know, I really feel like we're, we're preserving each other's dignity um, when we are neighborly back to the vulnerability issue or back to the finding that balance between what your habits or what you'd love to be able to do. Like a, I had somebody in the office the other day complaining how they had the greatest neighbors in the world and the new neighbors are constantly playing their music so loud that they can't even think straight in their own backyard and stuff. So talk to me about how neighborliness affects us, how you see it affecting us as just our general sense of well-being. Well, I think there are plenty of social science, you know, research studies that point to the uh, many benefits of living in community and having uh, neighbors that you're on good terms with and who you know and and can communicate easily with. You know, you you can either be on good terms and and have a constructive relationship with your neighbors, or you can be on terrible terms and fight with them, or there's even almost a worse state, which is to be completely isolated and have no contact. You know, I, I don't want to misrepresent Front Porch Forum as all puppy dogs and lollipops. I mean, there's conflict. Yeah. I mean, we're all humans and people get into it, but we try to help facilitate constructive, respectful conversations when that happens and when tempers flare, you know, people occasionally swear on front porch forum or whatever. Like, that's fine. It's like, we're all people, we're all humans, but the vast majority of content is this simple everyday stuff. And our hope is that social capital just like financial capital, you, you know, hopefully, you know, if you're in a good spot, you save some money and you put it aside for a rainy day. I think of social capital as the same way. Hey, let me be on good terms with my neighbors. Let me take them some fresh cookies that I baked once in a while or, or bring their mail in when they're out of town for them. And because that's just a good way to live. But in a way, it's putting social capital in my bank account. So when I fall off my ladder and break my leg and I need someone to help me out for off and on for a few weeks, my neighbor's more than willing. 
Mm. Okay. And that, um, that's something we, I probably should have mentioned earlier is that you have this great little point that you made to me about how perhaps we, it's time to reach a little bit to take that pie over or to share the zucchini we're growing in our garden right now with the neighbor and just see where, where it goes. Because you mentioned that the word neighbor has a positive connotation here in Vermont, but I didn't realize it probably has a negative connotation a lot of places. Well, first of all, I might take exception to the sharing zucchini example, because okay. <laughs> that in some places can be an act of aggression. Um, <laughs> we're, we're now to ring in, ring in the doorbell, put the zucchini, the foot, two fit law one on the door and running. But okay, you're right. My sister and I once dressed one up like that and left it in my uncle's car with a uh, mustache and like uh, and seat belted it in. Anyway, <laughs> um, it was way big. I don't know. Got yeah. away from it. But yeah, I've always valued in, 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 um, neighborly relations. And, and I grew up in an environment in the Midwest where that was true. And, and we've lived that way in our adult lives here in Vermont, my wife and I. But certainly in many parts of the country and, and, and People's primary reaction to neighbors is, oh, that's a source of trouble. As you mentioned earlier, that's a person who plays their music too loud. It's a person who has parties. That's the person who parks on my lawn. That's the person who, you know, has addiction issues and makes a mess in my community. That's a person who called the cops on me or I called the cops on them. So that's, that's a real tragedy um, when we get to that point mm -hmm. in, in, a, in a community. Okay, so then what do we do next? Like, I really look at your concept. Um, is there any next for Front Porch Forum? I mean, is there a, a let's do this in New Hampshire plan or anything like that? Could you go back to your hometown and see if this works in Illinois? What, what, what yeah. could happen next? Well, we're working on next right now. And, okay. and next for us is not, I don't think there's a successful path for us being a mile wide and an inch deep. Because that's, you know, that's big tech's path. Right. Like, let's take over the world. And, you know, uh, we have an imitator who, who copied much of what we do, um, and, but raised 400 million of venture money. And now they're a global, you know, big tech entity. And, you know, they're rife with problems, social problems. When you really social mission first, I think scale is crucial. You have to be small enough and local enough to pay attention to scale and, and, and make it work. You know, if you have a incredible local restaurant that sources its food from local farmers, builds community with its customers, supports the local soccer and little league teams, uh, you know, all this stuff, this beautiful local institution, you don't walk in and say, hey, when are you going to be like McDonald's and be in every corner uh, or Starbucks, every corner of the country? You know, of course, everyone understands intrinsically you would lose the magic. You know, you might export some of that menu or something, but there's a quality and scale connection. So we're very focused on quality. We have a lot more um, ambitions for providing services to Vermont communities. Within our sites that, that we're starting to map out, we've built a, um, a local business directory in every community in the state. We've built a local community calendar for every community in the state. And uh, we built uh, very quickly disaster response boards during uh, the flooding. Yeah. So we have several more steps along those lines that we're looking forward to doing so that each small town, each neighborhood in, the, in Vermont can really have a hub, a central point for local communication and information. And if they already have that in, in uh, other local media, fantastic, will be a supplement. Mm -hmm. I want to, um, as we close this interview, I want to mention, you know, uh, Michael mentioned that he is a benefit corporation mm -hmm. and that's B Corp, maybe something that people recognize. We did an interview with an amazing man named Tim Jones from New Zealand who has uh, an incredible rap about B Corps in the future of business. So I'm going to make sure that people have access to that uh, that 
particular episode in um, in the article over on the Goodness Exchange about your interview. As we wrap up here, you know, uh, I'm sure that at, at some point, if it already hasn't happened, what you're doing becomes news. It's newsworthy because neighborliness is becoming newsworthy. I've I've seen the the rise in good news and positive news over the last 10 years when we've been doing it at the Goodness Exchange, and I'm tickled about it because when we first got into it, we promised no politics and no ads. So we're so far the only good news outlet that I can find that has no ads to wade through and mm-hmm. break your break your computer when you download the homepage. But in that light, you know, if the, you will eventually um, be asked to contribute in big ways to communities like Chicago, WGN, you know, they have a watching ship of 7 million, I think. Okay, when they get you on the news, they're, you're going to have set three minutes to convey something that you really wish people knew. And if this interview had only been three minutes, what do you really wish people knew, Michael? Mm. Well, you know, if you're in Vermont, sign up for Front Porch Forum and participate. If you're outside of Front, outside of Vermont, I would love for people to take this concept of connecting with neighbors seriously. Yeah. And investing, think of it as an investment. As much as you invest in in your financial future or your infrastructure, your home, your cars, your your education, for you you or your kids, Mm -hmm. think of um, investing in your community relationships as a top priority. And whether it's sharing garden vegetables or advice or pitching in with uh, a community project, it doesn't matter what the issue is. It just matters that you're doing it and doing it in an ongoing way mm. because boy, everything is better when you know your neighbors, you're connected and you, you work together occasionally on common interests. Mm. That is a great way to sum this whole conversation up. I, I want to encourage people to to go to Front Approach Forum. We didn't get to talk about it, but you can't be anonymous there. I love that aspect of it, but it's super easy to sign up. And then all this, this world of opportunity and possibility falls into your lap once a day. And it's, it's just an amazing place to be. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, I tell you, you are a prime example of why we, this, why I'm always saying that it's still an amazing world. And uh, there's an, you are a, a co-conspirator in this wave of goodness and progress that I keep talking about. Thank you for joining us. If you uh, love this episode and, and you want to support goodness and progress and people like Michael, go to the to the Goodness Exchange and sign up there and, and you're going to hear conversation after conversation uh, with folks like him who are really changing our shared future in some remarkable ways. And um, our YouTube channel will hold this this interview as well and excerpts from it. So we'll, I definitely, if people saw me taking notes, um, I was taking notes on some of the points that you made that really strike me as as lovely. And we'll put some short clips of those over on the on the Goodness Exchange YouTube channel as well. So thank you. I hope the insights that Michael and I shared will help you through your day, and you will see all the goodness and progress that Michael's been talking about. Thanks, Michael. Linda, you are an inspiration. Thank you. Okay, well, let's let's just keep pulling and this conspiracy of goodness can can change our futures together. Excellent. Thanks. Thank you.